This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather. In the scripture reads, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on land, and there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss, And now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down and the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged, that he might be with him. For Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are not what we used to be. As a people, as a church, as a community, as a city, we've experienced the reality of shared trauma that will ultimately shape us in ways for years to come. The experience of this shared trauma, though, is this strong and frequent but prolonged adversity that leads us to this response that will often disrupt our typical development. This is without question the reality of what takes place here in Luke's Gospel. We see, uh, as a church, we've become acquainted with this language 
of an empire, something that embodies not only the systematic wrongs of this world, but the very present reality of a real enemy and conflict in life. The experience of shared trauma, though, is often embedded in the scripture's narrative. You and I can recognize pretty easily that those who follow Jesus had to have some uh, trauma experiencing Jesus hanging on Calvary's cross. Those who had devoted their lives to him, to learning and living and walking in his way, seeing their savior on a cross. This is indeed the experience of shared trauma, yet what I hope we'll see tonight is the response of these traumatic experiences that can lead us either into the abyss of the empire or a true and greater experience in God's kingdom. Jesus and his disciples travel by boat to the country of the Gerasenes. They are going and showing us this intentional shift in, in, in cultural, uh, religious life. They are going from ministry from among the primarily Jewish people to ministry among the Gentiles in a city that sits just about six miles from the sea. In verse 27, it says, though, that Jesus stepped out on land. There he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. It's at the very presence of Jesus that things begin to happen. So let me ask you, how then are you praying that Jesus would step out into your own lives? Uh, a man with demons we would consider far from anything we see today, yet the scriptures are clear in presenting the truth of this raging roar that is not of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil. This is a very real war of the kingdom and the empire. This man had suffered for a long time, this consistent struggle that time and time again led to greater and greater defeat. I'm sure you, like me, have this experience of knowing what it is to suffer for a long time, to suffer from sin, to suffer from sickness and disease, to suffer longing for our friends and family to know salvation. Yet, the text goes on to tell us that for a long time, this man wore no clothes and he did not live in a house, which unveils uh, this deep destitute nature that was not only an internal suffering, but had begun to manifest itself in the way that he lived. Living among the tombs means that he dwelled in the place that death reigned, but this is the goal of the empire, right? It's to lead us to live in the way that is ruled by a conscious enemy that seeks only to kill, steal, and destroy. And I don't want you to miss something, though, because this text simply calls him a man possessed. And why does this matter? Is because his suffering had become his identity. And this man possessed sees Jesus, and he cries out, falling at the feet of Jesus, and with a loud voice he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You can't encounter Jesus and not be impacted with the glorious beauty of God himself. His cries and falling before Jesus is the recognition, even from the empire, of Jesus' sovereign authority. This loud voice, though, is clearly not something normal to come from man. He asks, what have you to do with me? 
because immediately he recognizes to Jesus he must submit. It's Jesus, the very son of the most high God, that every knee must bow. Look, though, he, he says, he says, I beg of you, do not torment me. As the oppressor seeks mercy from the God who himself embodies true grace and mercy. Luke then, the author of this gospel, shows us this categorical distinction of casting out demons from sickness and disease. In verse 29, we see Jesus simply speaking, things happen, but not in the way that we might think. If you look at the verse, most Bible translations uh, place the second part of the verse in parenthesis to show this contrasting idea of how Jesus, in his mercy, speaks with authority and the shared traumatic experience of being in the empire. For many times, the text says, because it's over and over again that they had kept him under guard. He was bound with chains and shackles, but this doesn't surprise me. This is how we respond to the empire in our own lives. We try to control and manipulate by our own power. We want to fix ourselves. We suffer in silence. When it's Jesus who owned the cross, who has already conquered it all. Luke tells us that the demons drove him into the deserts, which implies both a physical place, but also a very real spiritual reality. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to be in the spiritual desert, to know what it feels like to pray and doesn't feel like God hears you, to be in spiritual exile, to be far from God, to be devoid of significant uh, habitation. I know the struggle of sitting in a service and singing songs that once shaped me simply become simple melodies. To know that your life feels almost meaningless. To know that my mind has become so numb that reading the scriptures is just simply words on a page. You know I love the language of the scriptures and here uh, Luke does something. Uh, he writes in what we call the imperfect tense, which means he is combining action that has already taken place and put it in this continual repetitive work that is now happening. This is exactly what we do when we say stuff like God is at work, when we know that Jesus has already accomplished victory on the cross, so we walk in that victory even today. Uh, I love when Jesus asks questions, though. In verse 30, Jesus asks, what is your name? Jesus, over and over in the scriptures, he, he asks these really simple questions that are greatly profound. He asks, what, who can cast the first stone? Or who are your accusers? Or why do you call me good? What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? Jesus uses these questions to force a confrontation with the empire and the truth about who he is. Calvin says it like this, that our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of, the God, of God and the knowledge of ourselves. So Jesus asked these questions to get to the hearts of men, questions that provoke transformation. So it's no wonder the four Gospels record Jesus asking more than 300 questions. In verse 31, the demons beg for mercy, and in verses 32 and 33, we see this transference from and to the pigs who drown because you are not your circumstances. And in verse 34, the herdsmen go and tell everybody what they've seen in Jesus. But look at what happens in verse 35. 
It says that the people from the city come and see what happened. And the text says, they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This, this is shared trauma. There's no celebration that this naked man uh, that could not be bound was now peacefully postured at the feet of Jesus. See, those who were used to control and privilege found this man's freedoms being clothed and seated at the feet of Jesus. This equality felt much like oppression. This shared trauma. In verse 36, let me just quickly say that the word used here for healed in the Greek is sozo, which literally means to be saved. And in verse 37, it says that the people were so afraid that they asked Jesus to leave. Again, this is shared trauma. What is their fear that the man that used to be bound in chains was now in his right mind? See, for many of us, our greatest fear is the true freedom in the lives of others. So in verse 37, Luke finishes the story about the people before he finishes the story of the man. Because they were traumatized, not by a faithful God, but the devastation and the loss of some pigs. In verse 38 and 39, though, is this incredible parallel idea that Luke shapes for us. And we see that to be saved by Jesus creates in us this longing to be with him. The greatest check of our own salvation is the desires for the things of this world or a desire simply to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus sends this man away in the same way that he sends you and I as ambassadors of him, calling you and I to go into the city of Winston-Salem and tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. Y'all be blessed.